For Stefania Bratulic, it was hard enough living in communist Yugoslavia. Then there was her family doctor, who was stubborn as a mule to make sure she didn't receive her pension. That was until the craziest of miracles happened next. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. Signs of the Times Radio is back for another week. And this time around, I have an awesome guest whose name is Daniela Schubert. Daniela, this is the first time that we're getting you onto the podcast, but you and I go a bit further back. I think the first time I remember you is when actually my housemate had a bird and the bird escaped and he was trying to call in people to to try and find the bird and you were the actual owner of the bird, it turns out. <laughs> and then it was much later on that I actually found out that we were sort of colleagues. I guess you were working at the office across the road from mine. <laughs> yes. What a, fun, what a funny memory. Yes. I do remember that very much. <laughs> I think the bird actually flew up into the neighbor's tree and uh, we didn't know how to get it to come down. But then you arrived at the door, you called to the bird and the bird obeyed you and came back. <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah well we don't actually have the that bird anymore i think it's living in queensland now but just sort of give us a bit of an in- introduction to yourself you are probably one of the most educated people that most people will have come across you have two master's degrees a doctorate you've worked as a missionary a teacher an associate secretary and a women's ministry director for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wow, what a storied career. Just two masters and a doctorate. That would have been a huge amount of time studying that. Yes. <laughs> it just when it's all over and finished, it seems like it's not a big deal. <laughs> but yes, I guess it is a big deal, yeah. So what areas did you study? My first master's was in health ministry and theology. So... Part of the courses were in health and part theology. And the second one was in theology, Old Testament. And then the doctorate was in youth, family and culture. Now, people may notice that you have a little bit of an accent. You sound great. But can you just tell us where you actually come from? Okay, so I was born in what was then Yugoslavia. Now Mm -hmm. that part of the country is Croatia. Okay, And since... I got married with my husband. We lived in France, in the Philippines, in Australia, Pakistan, Papua New Guinea, and back in Australia. Oh, wow. So what year did you actually leave Yugoslavia? Uh, in 85. Is your husband also from, from that part of the world? Yes. Mm-hmm. You've traveled far and wide. But one thing that many people might, might not know is that Yugoslavia, at the time that you were growing up, was also communist. Now, a lot of people might not understand from an Australian or New Zealand perspective what communism is like because it hasn't ever reached this part of the world. Can you just give us a bit of a a sketch, like what is communism? What did your life look like growing up in that? Yeah, we talk about Yugoslavia as a communist country, but in the title was actually socialist. And it was it was kind of in between. Uh, Yugoslavia was a member of um, 
non-aligned countries. So it was not part of Eastern Bloc and it was not part of the Western Bloc. It was in, in between. So mm-hmm. people from Eastern Bloc, like Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia at the time, would come and have holidays in Yugoslavia because that was from the East considered as socialist or communist country. But also people from France, Germany, Italy would also come and have holidays in our beautiful Adriatic Sea because our country was not considered communist the same way, you know, as Eastern Bloc. So we were kind of in between and we had much more freedom uh, than some other, some other countries. Like as a child, I went to, to Italy many times while other, other countries that I mentioned before, they, they were not allowed to go. To, to Western countries. Yeah. So it was a bit different, but it was definitely a socialist system where everybody is supposed to be the same, uh, like people are all supposed to have the same rights, the same benefits. But, you know, people are people, and and even there, there are some who have, who had more benefits than others. But yeah, it, it was a amazing, amazing place to grow up in. Like we, we all had free schooling, free medical services, which was really uh, great. Yeah. Is it true that in communism also, what was it like with owning of property? If you had an apartment, was it actually just owned by the state or were you able to own your own like properties? You were able to own some properties. Much of properties were state, and when when the government took over, a lot of properties were appropriated. So many people lost lost their properties if they were larger of certain a certain amount. But yes, you were able to own property. However, private ownership, private businesses were kind of looked down upon, mm-hmm. but they were allowed. Wow, incredible stuff that would have come with its fair share of challenges. And that's actually one of the ones that we're getting you on for because in this month's Signs of the Times magazine, you recount an experience that your mum had. Now, just going back a little bit and looking about what it was like in Yugoslavia, what was the sort of predominant religion at the time in the country? In Yugoslavia, you have three main religions. In the West, which would be Slovenia, Croatia, they had Catholicism. And then in the East, Serbia, Macedonia, and part of Bosnia, they they would be Eastern Orthodox. And then um, Bosnia mainly had, well, they had a mix of three, but they they were also, also quite largely Muslim. Nevertheless, all of those religions were very suppressed during the time of communism. So you were not really uh, supposed to believe because as a communist, you don't don't believe in God. There is no religion. So although we uh, officially had rights to meet, the stigma that you get in society because of that is, is huge. And uh, yeah, you could not um, get certain jobs. You could not finish so- certain schooling if you were not part of the communist uh, party. Yeah. Wow. Now, you recount an experience or a series of things that happened around the 1960s to your parents. So were your parents 
prescribing to, to any one of these religions that you just mentioned? My dad did not. If anything, he would be Catholic, but he did not go to church. My mom, who was a devout Catholic, she searched for a different faith. It was her dad who told his children that Catholic Church is not the right church and that uh, Sunday is not the right day to worship and that they should search for the right church. And my mom was the only one of the children who actually took that very seriously and, and went and searched for a church that that is not worshipping on Sunday. And yeah, so she found a, a Seventh-day Adventist church and joined that church and uh, and struggled really because not only was her family against that, but government too. Yeah, so it was very difficult time to make that kind of choice, but my mom felt that this is so important and, and she was willing to pay the price. Yeah, so what what was it like for that church at the time? Were they meeting in secret or were they allowed to meet, but it was just they were frowned upon by other people in society? They were allowed to meet, but they were frowned upon by society, yeah. So what sort of challenges, apart from obviously, you know, what you mentioned with with your family, your uncles and aunties looking down at her, what other sort of challenges did she face by by doing that big switch for her? Well, my dad, who she was married to, was not happy at all with that. I think that he burned her Bible once. Um, when she would visit her mom, would on purpose cook meat that my mom refused to eat, and there would be arguments. The other people also had uh, problems like in schooling. I remember my mother-in-law saying how when she went to school, primary school, she would be stood at the door and the teacher would tell other children as they walk out to spit in her face because she worships on Sabbath. My sister was telling me that her teachers, because the school was on Sabbath, so you missed classes, and then teachers would on on purpose give special assignments so that um, you are not able to do them, and so you you get a bad bad grade when you come to school on, on Monday. And they also prohibited other children to give you those assignments, and they were saying that if they give you those assignments they are going to be punished also. And my sister, she has amazing experience because one of her classmates went against that and she did give my sister those assignments that they they received on Saturday. And my sister got good grades and the other friend got good grades too. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) For your siblings, because they were already born and alive and in school at the time that your mum decided to make this commitment to the Seventh-day Adventist church, were they fully on board with that at the time because of the, the challenges that they were facing around it at school? Or were they a bit hesitant? Like, have you ever talked with them about this uh, since then? They, they were small, r- relatively small at the time. So, you know, kids just go along with, with mom. It was really difficult for my brother, maybe more so than for my sister, because my brother was somehow aligned to dad and dad was against and dad was an alcoholic and my my brother became an alcoholic and, and actually died fairly young from alcoholism. But my sister remained very firm in faith 
and she is still today um, a very firm believer. At the same time as as all of this was happening, there was there was another thing that was also going on, which was your mum's health, right? And your mum was trying to get an invalid pension, right? Can you just explain how that sort of worked under the the government system there at the time? So, in communist government, they wanted to have equal rights and equal opportunities and, and that everybody would do well. So, from that perspective, it was possible to receive an invalid pension at the time. And my mom requested that. But for some reason, this doctor who was the head of, of the committee that would recommend such pension for her was just adamant that he is not going to give her that that recommendation. I'm not really sure why, but he was just so against. And every time she she gave her papers, it was rejected, and and the government allocated doctors. They they would follow what what this doctor said. Like he was her doctor, and he was also the doctor. Uh, head of that committee and whenever he he would give her certificate that she is not fit to work he just would not give her that just would not <laughs> and she she was at the end of her wits you know what to do she was not able to work her spine was really caving in i have no idea how hard that must have been you know your whole body upper body kind of shrinks and those movements in the body, the spine going down, the, the, the movements of all the organs and everything, that she was in so much pain that for me it's hard to even comprehend and yet the doctor would not give her that. <laughs> Your mom was really persistent as well because it wasn't just her meeting with her doctor. She then also offered to, to work for him <laughs> yes, right. that was a bit of a cheeky from her, you know. <laughs> She's quite cheeky in some way. And she thought, oh, let me do this like a trick. I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I have somebody for you to do your work. And he was like all excited. Oh, yeah, who that is? And she said, it's me. <laughs> so he was like, no way, you cannot work. And she said, well, then give me that certificate. And he said, no, I will not do that. Uh, in some way, you know, it seems like, it seems like his heart was such that only a power from outside would change his heart. And that's what happened. Mm. Now, just before we get into what actually went down there. From your mum's point of view, because he was the, her government-appointed doctor, she couldn't exactly just go to another doctor and try and persuade him, could she? Well, she did go to a private doctor mm -hmm. because this other lady that she met who seemed much better health received invalid pension. And so my mum said to her, how, how did you get it? And so this lady gave her a few tips. And one of those tips was, well... Don't just go to government doctors, you go to private doctor and, and have both of those certificates with you so that you can show the commission that there is something foul going on here. How come on the same day you can have one doctor say you are not fit to work and another doctor say you are fit to work? Something is not right. And so she did that. She went a few times 
and then again try to to put her case forward. Now it was it was at that same time that you know obviously your mum was was struggling with this thing, and because she'd also come into the Seventh Day Adventist Church where there was a big emphasis on prayer, she started praying quite a bit for an answer for a solution. Like you said, your mum was in a lot of pain. So she was doing prayer and she was also doing fasting. Now, for some people just hearing about that might be a little bit confused by that practice. What sort of significance did those two things have for her? What sort of power did they have for her? You know, when you are fasting, something happens to you. Your your mind clears, um, your thought clears, your whole attitude towards life becomes uh, different. And I would recommend that for anyone, religious or, or non-religious, it's a really good good way of getting in touch with, with something important. Yeah, so my mom felt that she, she needed to do that. She needed to, to have this special time of consecration, of, of thinking, of dedication, of reflecting and, uh, and preparing herself mentally and physically to 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 meet this this committee yeah yeah and and with that of course came the prayer prayer is a conversation with god a conversation with power outside of you and then she did not want to be alone in that so she had other people praying for her she asked another friend who was also going to church and she was also our neighbor and she also told my my sister and my brother to pray. My, my sister definitely remembers praying for that specific thing and and the excitement later on. Yeah. So that must have been an intense three days while this committee is meeting to, to decide if they're going to, to grant this pension to your mom. Yes. Now come the end of those three days and, you know, your mom goes out there uh, to meet with the doctor and find out what the verdict is. What happened next? So the three days uh, she prepared beforehand, and then uh, on the day was the day when the committee met. They 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 had all all the paperwork, and then they physically examined her, and interviewed her, and then she was part of those deliberations uh, somehow because she remembers hearing. The, the head doctor speaking very much in favor of this decision to give her invalid pension. And, and she was surprised to hear that he is speaking in her favor when he vowed he is not going to give her that pension, that recommendation. What did the doctor describe as his, his reasoning for then deciding to grant her the pension? At, at the committee, there was no possibility to for my mom to check with him how come this changed. She was just listening and being amazed that this is what's happening. He went ahead and uh, supported her medical situation. Basically, he was telling the truth. Mm. He was telling the truth. This is what the situation is. That's what was the truth. What he decided before that he is not going to speak in her favor, that would not have been truth. But he, this time he, he did speak truth. Mm. But it was later on that my mom found out why 
Your mom, first of all, would have been shocked there because he'd been telling her that it was going to be a no and then it became a yes. Like that just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> was yes. your mom shocked and surprised by that? Yes, she was. Yeah, she was. Although, you know, it's amazing to to witness in front of your eyes answer to your prayer. So mm. it's it's really amazing. So when did she actually have the opportunity to, to talk to Dr. Hang on, I'm going to try and pronounce his name correctly. Dr. Bilanovic and ask him about why why he granted this decision. Mm. So it was the next day that she went because the, on the day the committee met, but all the paperwork was not finished. So the next day my mom went to collect the paperwork, which she then submitted to government and government simply start, started sending money. So the next day when she went to see the doctor, the doctor told her, I don't know what happened to me. I did not want to talk to what I talked. <laughs> and my mom was asking him, you know, so what you said, was it true or, or not? He said, yeah, it was true, but I did not want to give you this. <laughs> and, and my mom said, so then why did you? Um, and then he told her the, the story of what happened to him. And that's how we know. Uh, because he told my mom what happened. So the night before the committee was to meet, he went to bed as usual to sleep. And as he was about to fall asleep, somebody was in his room and tapped him on the shoulder. He was startled, woke up and, well, opened his eyes and, and saw that there is this, this big person, shiny person, and and this person asked him, what about the matter of Mrs. Bratulich? And then he vanished, that other person. So that was really weird. And the doctor slowly calmed down and, and thought, okay, maybe he just, you know, imagined something, maybe it's not true. And so he calmed down, he was about to fall asleep again. Then the same thing kept happened again. Again, this, this amazing big person, shiny person, appeared in his room, tapped him on the shoulder and said, what about the matter of Mrs. Bratulich? And apparently this happened the whole night. He said to my mom, he did not sleep one minute that night and he just could not imagine having another such night in his life and so on the day he simply spoke the truth it's so interesting that as well that appearance of that shiny man that spoke to dr bilanovic was not telling the doctor what to do either he was just asking the question <laughs> yeah yeah what about what this yeah what a, what a curious experience. Now, obviously, then that was amazing news for your mom because she was able to receive this pension, which was able to support her as well. But what she did next is so curious because she actually went to your doctor with a Bible just to share a bit, little bit about explaining what he'd seen that night, maybe. What was his reaction to receiving that from your mom? Yeah, so, so this doctor, Dr. Bilanovic, was my mom's doctor. In those days, you did not choose where you will go. This is your doctor, you know. So anytime she needed to see the doctor, she went and saw him. 
Yeah, so she decided to give him a Bible when she went next. And um, Bible was not something that you freely kind of gave in those days. You know, Bible was mm. religion. So she did not know how he was going to react. So it took a, a, a courage from my mom to actually bring the Bible to him. But his reaction was amazing. He saw the Bible and he just took his that Bible to his chest and was just amazed. He said, Mrs. Bratulich, you gave me the Bible. He was just so grateful to have Bible. Yeah, I, I'm sure that he was a very staunch communist being a, a doctor. So, yeah, it was not easy for him to get a Bible. And I think if he was even seen to go and purchase a Bible, that that would not have been a, a good thing. But he received it from a patient, so it was fine. And, and he seemed to be really delighted um, to have the Bible. And your mom, now having received that pension, she was still attending the church, and obviously her faith would have been stronger than ever, knowing that one of her prayers was answered. What did she do after that? After that experience, it was it was a change that happened to our whole family. Not not just you know my mom, my brother and sister remember how from then on we had much more food available at the table. We had things that we could not ever afford before, and everybody was really grateful. My mom is so was so careful with money and uh, and how she does things. She was, you know, a, a, an environmentalist before I even knew there is such term and minimalist and and saving and recycling and all of that. I grew up with mom who did all of that, and it helped us to to have food food on the table, and not just for me personally. My mom was able to pay for my school fees uh, when I went to private school, and she was amazingly faithful to to God. With her offerings, she was able to help many people. She was lending money. I, I could not imagine how can somebody with such little pension be able to help others. But she did. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. For you growing up as, as the third child, now obviously, as we mentioned before, like you've, you've got those, those two masters, a doctor, and you've worked in so many places around the world preaching God. Was it your mom's faith that inspired that? And what has she meant to you in, in the fact that she's been so steadfast in her belief in God to even do these sort of risky things in Yugoslavia? What has that meant to you? She has definitely been a role, a role model. She, the way she raised me up, the strictness with which she raised me up made a very firm foundation on my character and her faith and her prayers for me have kept me going for the rest of my life, really. In the last maybe 20 years, I remember how encouraged I was with, with my mom and the way she saw the world, the way she was happy with, with her life, the, the way she told everyone about Jesus, the way she uh, dealt with people how she treated children. Yeah, she was just unbelievably great, great model. In in her local church, some people call her, you are a legend. And she mm. really was, yeah. 
I see a lot of similarities between your mum and my mum, actually, because like you mentioned there, there was the Eastern Bloc of communist countries in Europe. And my parents actually grew up in one of them, which was Poland. And so my mum came into the faith, like Poland was a, a predominantly Catholic country. And she, a friend introduced her to the Protestant faith through the Seventh-day Adventist church. And she began to, to read into these parts of the Bible that she hadn't really thought much of before that and started discovering all these things and decided to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And her parents did not accept that because they were staunch Catholics at the time. They kicked her out of the house. And at the exact same time that this was happening in the 1980s was when a state of war was declared because the Russians were on the border and stuff. So you had to declare which household you were a part of. And my mum actually was like staying away sort of illegally with other people because she'd been kicked out of her own home and people were taking her in and stuff. And she was so defiant that she was happy to make that stand for her faith. All these years later, you know, she's in, she's in Australia now and, you know, is able to practice her faith freely and her relationship with her parents never really, never really got better. But, you know, she's, she's a firm believer in that, the fact that she made the right decision in that moment. And also, you know, for me, hearing all the stories about what communism was like there in Europe, I can just imagine in my mind what it would have also been like for your mum. But also, I'm just wondering for you, you know, growing up in the midst of this situation, was it difficult for you growing up as well? Like you mentioned for your siblings how it was in school. Um, it obviously didn't get any better because, you know, communism was around for much longer while you were growing up. What was the experience of, of growing up with faith in communism for you? So I would say that in some way I was much more sheltered uh, because as as the years went, the communism was less and less firm. And, you know, in, in 90s, it actually pretty much vanished. Uh, civil war happened and uh, and the whole Yugoslavia went into pieces. And now you have all these different, at that time, were republics. Now they are all separate um, countries. So you have Slovenia, Croatia, and this is what people know these days. So I did not have that much struggle uh, growing up in a communist um, country. And then uh, when I did uh, my high school, by that time, our church, again, I would say miraculously, was allowed to have high school, private high school in a, in a communist country. It's just, you know, a miracle. I finished my, my boarding, my, my high school in a boarding Adventist school. Now that uh, also had some problems. So it was not a recognized school. If you finished high school with that diploma, you could do nothing else. So in order to, to have our learning recognized every year, at the end of the year, we had to do government exams. And that was so difficult, you know, to, to do the whole year in like one or two weeks, sometimes two or three exams in a day. That was really, really difficult. So we did that. And and then after that, I, I was able to continue studies with no problem in another government university. So that that's probably my my biggest difficulty. The other thing was that many things our generation did not know. We did not know what was happening. People were not talking about 
difficult times. And the government spoke a lot uh, about we are all brothers and sisters, we are all the same. And so even in that school, in the, in the high school where we were together, we were friends from the whole Yugoslavia. About 200 plus kids from all over Yugoslavia came to this one place and, and we studied uh, together. And, and even today, it's like 40 years later, we are still friends with those people because the friendships you formed over there were, were amazing. And when we studied subjects like uh, Marxism and communism, we had a pastor who was teaching us that. So he was not only teaching us the theory and practice of, of Marxism, but he would then be able to, to give us Christian perspective on that. So we were really well grounded in, in what we, what we learned. Obviously, when people ask you, where are you from? And you tell them you're from Yugoslavia and they ask, where's that? And then you have to go into the little history spiel. Has that been a challenge for you as far as your own national identity because of all this is, that has happened? Well, it is a bit tricky, yes. <laughs> and the trickiness goes even further because my mom, when she was born, she was born in Italy. And her mother's tongue official was Italian. But then Yugoslavia came and she had to learn a different language. So that was Croatian. But she also had another, which is, which was her mother's tongue, which I did not understand. So my mom was very fluent in three languages simply because of, of those countries. And even my name, you know, I, I get people confused with the spelling of my name. That's not how my mom wanted my name to be spelled. My mom wanted to be spelled without J, but J in there was a Croatian grammar. And so whoever wrote the name, in, in hospital, they, they put the grammar as they wished, not as my mom wished. But it's a reminder of where I come from and, and who I am. And these days, I generally say that I'm from Croatia, which used to be Yugoslav part of Yugoslavia. Yeah. Mm. Now, just as we finish up, I just want to have just one final reflection. Your mom obviously had that experience, as well as many other experiences, I'm sure, and then you also had the experience of, like you mentioned, growing up and luckily being able to, to study at the high school and being able to practice your faith despite everything that was going on around you. Can you just reflect on, on how you feel God has guided your journey into now being a person who, who teaches God, who seeks to, to introduce people to God through the work that you've been doing around those various countries like France, like the Philippines, like Australia that you mentioned what has God meant to you and, and your family now that you're with your husband as well? What has he meant to you? I believe that God has looked after me in so many different ways from birth till now. There are many stories I could, I could be sharing, you know, from, from starting how I was born and, and when and what are the accidents that I had where I could have died both when I was small and later on uh, when I was married, things that I know were times when I could have died, but God felt that I should be living and telling the stories and encouraging others, and so that's what I've been doing. And it has not always been easy. I feel that, that the forces of darkness have really worked hard on me, 
I have been struggling with, with negative thoughts and, and depression for many, many, many years. But all through that, I come back to God always, and I know that He is loving me, that He has a special work for me, and that He is blessing other people with me. So, yeah, I am really blessed to, to have had the life that I have had. I could not have imagined anything like it. So God's way and God's plan for my life was way beyond, way much more beautiful and amazing than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, thank you for, for giving us just a small snippet of insight into the life that you have lived and, and indeed with, with your mum as well. I think we have to to do another one to talk about those little things that you hinted at over there because it seems like there's so much more that that we we have to learn from your life story. But for now, I guess we'll leave it there until next time. I really appreciate you joining us today to share, Daniela. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Daniel. It was good to be here and talk with you. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.